49ers Cutback Podcast time. I'm Anthony Robertson, and here with me is the Horst, Alex Horst. What's up, Horsty? Going on, guys. Good to be here. Ready for this one. It's going to be fun. And here with us, Alex Asenia. How's it going, Alex? Going well, sir. Let's uh, let's jump into it. All right, guys. Right into it. PFF has ranked the 49ers 25th in the league at the wide receiver position. What do you think about this horse or this list, Horst? Uh, I think if you go through the whole list, um, it's it's not impressive to me. I think there's a number of glaring mistakes. First of all, with I don't think Dallas is number one. I think they have one really good receiver in Amari Cooper, and Gallup had a decent year. I think you're throwing too much expectation on C.D. Lamb to put. I don't think they're better than teams like Tampa Bay. Atlanta or um, Kansas City or probably even the Saints to start off with. Um, I think Buffalo is way too high at number five. Stephon Diggs is a good player, but John Brown and Cole Beasley are not big-time players. John Brown's really fast. Beasley's a solid slot receiver, but I don't think they're a top-five receiving core. Kansas City being sixth is a Huge glaring mistake to me. They got to be top three. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole list. We don't have time for that. But I think Denver's much too high at number nine. I think the Bengals are too high at 10. Um, I think Cleveland's too low at 18. And there's several others, but we're here to talk about the Niners. The Niners are at 25th. Now, I can see why from an outside perspective you'd be doubtful of the Niners' um, weapons at the receiving core. They did lose their biggest name in Emmanuel Sanders, who really came in and helped them down the stretch last year. But if if Devo Samuel is healthy, I think Devo's an emerging star. Um, they got a big-time draft pick in Brandon Ayuk. Jalen Hurd's a really intriguing player. Kendrick Bourne is a solid receiver. And I like what one reporter said about this, is the Niners might not have the best top two or receiving duo, but their receiving core as far as five, six guys deep is probably a lot better than most teams. Um, I think by the end of the year, they would be more in the 12 to 15 range. Once the season happens, I think they'll move up a lot once their young guys prove themselves. But I I don't like the ranking. I don't like the whole list. But I do understand why they were put that low. Because from a national media perspective, not many of their guys have proven themselves. But yeah, I think I, I would bet money that the Niners are more 12 to 15 by the end of the season in receiver ranking. Yeah, uh, the, the list is just kind of baffling. It just seems extremely inconsistent with how it rates these teams and 
rates their performances and, and rates the players. Um, I, I can't tell if they take into account injuries. It, it seems like in some situations they do, in some situations they don't. Uh, they note it with the 49ers on theirs. They, they talk about how with Samuel injured, you know, he's set to miss some time most likely, and that's going to leave some options for Ayuk, and that's probably why they're sitting at 25 as they're sitting there thinking they won't have Debo for part of the year. Um, it, it, yeah, the list is kind of just all over the place. I understand the placement there. I'm not going to sit here and say that I think they should be right now um, in, in the top 20, top 15. I think, like you said, Horace, they end up somewhere in that range by the end of the season. Um, but, yeah, no, just uh, – I can't figure out why some of the teams end up where they end up. Um, Chicago at 20 with really only one wide receiver who finishes with a, with a top 12 grade in, in their ranking system. Um, and they don't really have a bona fide two or a bona fide three. Taylor Gabriel hasn't been relevant since his time in Atlanta with Shanahan. Um, Anthony Miller has been nothing but a bust and hasn't really done much of anything for them. Um, if they're valuing adding Ted Ginn, I, I, I mean, okay. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It, it's kind of all over the place. Um, I don't think the 49ers placement is undeserved. I think it's, it's about where it should be right now, just based on what we have and lose after losing Emmanuel Sanders. Um, but like you said, Horace, I think, uh, I think once we get to about week six of the season, uh, that 25 ranking looks a little bit, a little bit silly. I mean, could we argue that the 49ers are, should be slightly higher on the list? Sure. I mean, but I still do think they're a bottom, uh, you know, third of the league. Because um, their only proven commodity right now is Debo Samuel. You know, I'm not ready to put uh, Kendrick Bourne up there as, you know, one of these guys that can start. I don't see him as a starter. And I think if he is a starter, then we're not doing that great at the receiver position. Uh, it's no slight on him. It's just production. It hasn't really turned out to be a starting level. You know, Dante Pettis had such a bad year last year that, I mean, there's really no reason to think he can be anything, you know, spectacular, even though I do think he's going to have a bounce back year. But, I mean, that's why that he would be in – or we would be in these rankings like this because we don't have, you know, any thoughts of what Dante Pettis can do. It's all assumptions at this point. You know, Travis Benjamin, you know, from 2015 to 2017 had really good years. You know, and he was really playing um, more consistently. But since he's been with the uh, Chargers in Los Angeles, he hasn't been the same player. But I think he'll fit nice into uh, Shannon's system. You know, Trent Taylor's been hurt. Richie James is currently hurt right now. Um, Jalen Hurd, Brandon Ayuk, and Jawan Jennings, um, they haven't even really taken a snap in the NFL in the regular season. So how am I going to look at them and think that they're – going to make some sort of, you know, big time move until I see it. So I get, I get right now it's all projections. So yeah, I do. I think these guys are going to show up in a big way. Of course I do because, you know, I'm a 49er fan and I study on, you know, these guys and make sure I understand how they're going to fit in the system and what they're going to do. But I understand why in a rankings reason, the 49ers would be 25 because coming into the year, that's realistically where the wide receiver core is. So I do think that, you know, we have talent. There's lots of possibilities. Like with Sean Poindexter, you know, he's a big six-foot-five receiver. So even if somebody like that, undrafted free agent, another guy, Chris Fink, you know, the slippery fox, you know, maybe if Trent Taylor doesn't work out, he's someone that can step in there. So I understand why they're 
25th um, ranked. Now, ESPN kind of took it a step farther and didn't just talk about receivers. ESPN ranked the 49ers 18th in the league in offensive weapons, and that's last in the NFC West. What do you think about this, Alex? Is ESPN right? Uh, I mean, it's another one of those situations where I, I think right, off the top, off the off the top, based on the off seasons and some of the the weapons that these other teams added um, in the NFC West, that you're probably I don't know if you're 100 percent wrong. I, I think there's a, a devaluing of certain things and certain certain players are not putting as much emphasis on what certain guys at, at our position at their positions in San Francisco what they can do. Um, I, I get it. You know, Arizona added DeAndre Hopkins to go along with Larry Fitzgerald and and uh, Andy Isabella and uh, Kirk. Uh, Seattle has their their core two returning in DK Metcalf and um, Tyler Lockett. Uh, you have the the core two of of of, uh, of uh, Woods and Cooper in in Los Angeles. Um, and those names have proven that they can put up numbers and, and do things. And our core right now is made up of a second round, a second year player in in Debo Samuel and Ayuk essentially, and Kendrick Bourne, who has been kind of a, a solidified number three, four guy for most of his career. So I, I, you, when you factor in Kittle at the tight end position, guys like Mostert essentially uh, as well. Um, I understand why we're there. I don't think we're as bad as it shows, but again, I think we just don't have the body. There's not the body of work at, at the receiver position for us. Um, that's going to, going to teleport us up into that top 10 ranking and, and make teams or make, at least make the argument. Some people can make the argument that our weapons aren't better than some of these other teams, in the NFC West, when our guys just haven't had the same amount of time to prove it and haven't been able to do it. Um, because they haven't been in the league as, as long. I mean, Kittle's only been in the league, you know, a, a handful of years. He's only been in the league three seasons is what it's going to be. And so he, he while he's had his breakout year this last year in his second season, it's only going to be coming into his third year. These other other players on these other teams in the NFC West have had a lot longer to, to put up the numbers and kind of demonstrate their value in the league, um, whereas our guys kind of haven't. They haven't been able to do it because they haven't been around as long. Um, so I don't think it's reflective of the true firepower of this offense. Um, it's the circumstance that we're in. They haven't had as much time. I think that benefits us more than anything because it makes teams kind of come in thinking about us mostly as a defensive-oriented team whose star power is solely on the defensive end. Um, and it may help us give us an edge because these young guys who are going to be hungry and chomping at the bit, this is just bulletin board material for the rest of the season. Uh, I I definitely don't think they're the worst in the NFC West. The team that stands out to me right away as very overrated is the Rams. Um, be, and my biggest thing for that is they seem to have, like you said, punished the 49ers for – you know, youth or inexperience at the positions. But if you look at the Rams, their running backs, while I do like Cam Akers, he was a good player at Florida State, really talented guy, hasn't proven anything in the NFL. Um, Their other running backs are Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown. I think I would take Mostert and 
Tevin Coleman over that group of running backs any day of the week. Um, once again, they have two solid tight ends in Higby and Everett, but I don't think either of them hold a candle to George Kittle. George Kittle's the best tight end in the league, in my opinion, with his only competition being Travis Kelsey, so I don't even think it's close at tight end. Then at receiver, yeah, they might have one guy, two guys that are good, but as far as depth, I think the Niners are better than them. So that's the one I really don't like being ahead of them. I know they have the Rams all the way up there at 11th. I just don't see it. On paper, I can see why they put the Cardinals' skill positions ahead of theirs, you know, with with Hopkins, Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, um, Kenyon Drake, those guys. I mean, on paper, that's a pretty good roster. Now, the rest of their team's not that good. They might be the worst team in the West, and they might have the best skill positions on paper. Um, Seattle and the Niners, I think, are fairly close, which this list indicates putting Seattle only a couple spots ahead of them. I think DK Metcalf's a good player, so is Lockett. Uh, at running back, I think the Niners are far better than Seattle. Chris Carson tied the NFL record for fumbles in a 16-game season with seven. And um, they don't really have a great backup for him. Carlos Hyde, I guess. But he's proven to be a mediocre player over his career. Um, I do not think a 35-year-old Greg Olson, once again, can hold a candle to Kittle. But I do understand them putting Seattle a little above because of the receiving core. But to me, them and Seattle are close. The Rams are behind both of them. And Arizona's a little bit in front. But um, the overall number didn't make me too upset because, once again, I understand the Niners are young and experienced. But I, it's another group that I think will bump up once the we're about halfway through the season. Yeah, I, I, the one team I firmly disagree with being in front of them in their division is the Rams. When I looked at it, I was thinking it all depends on the people that are making the list, what they value the most. So um, finding what value they have is – is where you're going to determine and uh, where you're going to be on the list. And obviously they value receiver the most because you can see it with Arizona having the three big receivers. They were automatically number one. And then the Rams, uh, I'm sorry, number one in the West. And then the Rams number two in the West because they have Cooper cup, Robert Woods and Van Jefferson. I I think that that was the reason that those teams were ahead of the 49ers, you know, and the Seahawks with Lockett and Metcalf and all that but I'm going to go through this real quick um, because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense all the way to me because <laughs> when I was looking at it, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what the, what the heck? Okay. So right away I looked at, I, I put quarterbacks in this because as a, a position, it makes a lot of sense for a quarterback to be considered a weapon. And it's obvious the Seahawks have the best quarterback in the NFC West. But when you go to running back, the 49ers have, by far the best running back room because they don't just have Mostert, Coleman. They also have Juszczyk. Kyle Juszczyk is the best fullback in the NFL. And for us to not consider him a weapon is a mistake. So definitely that puts the 49ers running back room ahead of, you know, everyone else in the NFC West. And I don't think that this list takes Juszczyk into consideration. Then when you go to the tight end room, George Kittle's the best tight end in football. So if you have the best tight end at a position, 
automatically that room is number one. And I mean, hopefully, and I think they will, I think they're going to address a backup situation. I think Jordan Reed is going to end up signing with the 49ers. So I think that that is going to take them to another level weapon wise. And then at receiver, it's obviously Arizona, but out of those four positions on the offense for skill positions, the 49ers won two of those. So to me, it doesn't make sense if, if you're going by position for us to put those other teams ahead of them on this list. Now, I'm not going to freak out about the fact that they're 18 because I know their receivers are pretty much, you know, unproven. But for everywhere else, the 49ers are right up there with this in with these guys. And I think that they could have easily been ranked higher than some of the other teams. Because when you have the best tight end, the best fullback, the best running back room, and the best offensive coordinator in the NFL, you should you have all the weapons you need to be a big time offense. So they, I think they, the list is a little skewed, but I get it. It's it's a a national media outlet that's doing it. But there could be more offensive help on the way. The Athletics Ben Standig reports that wide receiver Jarius Wright is on the 49ers' radar as a possible free agent signing. Should the 49ers sign him, Horst? Um, Jarius Wright's not much of a needle mover for me. I'm definitely not against them signing him. He's an eight-year veteran. He understands how to be an NFL wide receiver. He'd be a good player to add to the room as far as how to act like a professional, train like a professional, run routes like a professional, you know, be coached, that kind of stuff. But his biggest year is 42 catches for 588 yards. Um, he's had three years over, excuse me, four years over 400 yards. His most touchdowns in a year is three. So, I mean, you're not bringing in a pro bowler. You're not bringing in a star. But as with the, with a couple injuries they have, I definitely think he'd be a solid addition to the room. I think he's a consummate professional, a back end of the roster type guy. That I mean, he's the kind of guy, if you need him for 10 plays, 12 plays, he's going to go in. He's going to run the right route. He's going to block the right guy. He's going to do what he's supposed to do. Just if we sign him, don't expect some sort of superstar production from him. No, agreed. And the big thing for me is is I, I do think it'd be a good addition, as you said, in terms of the veteran presence and what he's done. Um, the big thing for me that I, I did love when I was looking at some of his statistics is his yards per reception. Everything is in everything's double digits except for one year, um, the 2016 season, when he only played eight games. Um He's a guy who is like he's a possession receiver. He's a guy who runs routes, gets open, uh, you can get him the ball, and most of the time it's going to be a first down and move the chains and and little chunk plays here and there. Um, guys like that are are valuable. Um, and a guy like Kendrick, I mean Kendrick Bourne is the kind of the the model I look at with that. Last year, third third and long situations, it seemed like Kendrick Bourne was making big plays. All season long, even though it was only a 12, 14-yard catch or a third and goal eight yards out and he makes a touchdown grab, um, those those plays on third and third and long, second and long when you need receptions, you need guys like that who can get open within the route concepts and the schemes and that the co- quarterback can be comfortable with that he's going to be there and you can put the ball in space to that guy and he's going to make a play and, and keep the drive going and help the offense build momentum and rhythm. Um, he could add that. He, he could add that 
to the equation um, because last year after Kendrick Bourne, there wasn't really a whole lot that we could count on. Um, and so if we can add some depth that takes some pressure off the young guys early in the season and put some pressure on these guys like Pettis and Hurd who are coming into second, third years in the league to, to get their act together, shape up, or you can be replaced. We can, we can bring in guys who can do the job if you're not going to be able to get it done or can't stay healthy. Um, and for the most part, he's been healthy for a good chunk of his career. Jerry's right has. Um, and yeah, that, that, that big 10 yard, 11, 12, 13, 14 yards per reception number. I like that because it's something that's going to allow the offense to stay on the field and keep drives going. I'll tell you a few things I like about Jarius Wright, and then I'll tell you why the 49ers are interested. First, um, you know, he had 28 catches for 296, which I know you pointed out, which isn't too far off from Kendrick Bourne. The other thing I like about him is in 2018, he had an average of 4.6 yards after the catch, which would have ranked him second last year on the 49ers. Besides Debo Samuel getting a little over eight yards of carry after a catch, um, there was no one really close. The next one was Kendrick Bourne, and his number's better than Kendrick Bourne's. Kendrick Bourne's is just above uh, four yards after the catch. And Kendrick Bourne is not that good um, at running the ball after the uh, catch. Same with Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders only had 3.3 yards um, after catch. So our, you know, in Shanahan's system, you really want those yak guys. And I guess I was kind of already thinking Emmanuel Sanders was doing that, but he really wasn't when he played for the 49ers last year. So I think those are two things that I really like about him. Uh, the other thing I'm going to point out one more thing is that when he played with Cam Newton in Carolina, his catch percentage was over 70%. So he doesn't drop the ball ball very much. Last year was a little bit different. He had a different quarterback. and But with Cam, he had over 70%. So if you want a guy that can catch the ball and make plays, this, this is a guy you're interested in. And I'll tell you why they would be interested in him. And that's because – Right now, the NFL and the NFLPA are working on a deal for the COVID-19 um, injured reserve. And if it gets done, if you test positive for COVID-19, you go on injured reserve for three weeks. You, When this happens, a roster spot opens up and you are allowed to sign a player, and that player can play until the other player comes off of the IR for COVID-19. It's a special um, IR. So the 49ers and I think a lot of NFL teams are going to be tied to a lot of guys that aren't signed right now because they need to have a head a head up and a leg up on what these guys can do and how these guys can fit into systems. So if something happens with COVID-19 and you have some sort of an outbreak or you lose a player, you need to have someone that you can uh, pick up. So it means a lot more guys that we wouldn't normally think are going to play in the league. They're all going to be – you know, talked about and thought about and possibilities going into the um, 2020 season because of COVID-19. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of talking about it, but it's definitely something that we need to keep addressing and look at uh, from a football standpoint, because I think these are going to bring up some interesting situations and interesting things, which brings us to another guy that a report has just come out and he himself said, Wide receiver Terrell Pryor is looking to make a comeback this season. And as said, as many as five teams are interested. Alex, do you think the 49ers should be one of them? No. Just just no. And it's nothing nothing against Terrell Pryor. Uh, production has dropped off pretty much every year since he broke out in, in his first season. Um, I don't think he can stay healthy. 
I haven't I haven't seen anything of it. I mean, it's, for me, it's it's pretty simple. If you're if you can't find success on the New York Jets roster at the wide receiver position, it's just a hard no from me. I know that they've struggled with the quarter their quarterback situation, but there are plenty of guys who have a bad quarterback situation and plenty of receivers in this league who have the potential to to blow up and and have great years and great numbers and great seasons and great things. If you can't be the guy in with the New York Jets, like the guy they can count on, and they brought him in and paid him a good amount of money, if you can't be that guy there, how are you going to be anything for anyone here? I mean, Washington bust here, uh, the Jets bust. I, I, I don't know what bringing him in is going to do for us, I know weapons depth, I guess, is what people would argue, but I just I don't see how it's a good fit. I don't know how he's going to. I don't think he's got top end speed anymore. I don't think he is a great route runner. I don't know how he's going to get open in space. He seemed to have separation problems the last few years. Uh, I, I, no, it just just no all the way to the bank for me on this. Uh, what's funny, Ann, about you bringing up the COVID thing for Jarris Wright is that that's actually what popped through my head with Terrell Pryor is, you know, if there's some sort of outbreak, the thing about Terrell Pryor is that he is a veteran NFL receiver that has made plays in the past. If his speed is still there, his size speed mixture is definitely uh, enticing to teams. Now, I don't necessarily think the 49ers need him, but I do think he's an enticing guy if you run through some issues and lose a couple receivers. And I really think that, like you said about Wright and other, you know, you made the comment that something along the lines of that you were going to see guys who normally wouldn't get a chance get a look. And I think Pryor could be one of those guys because you – He's been an NFL system, several of them, and he could probably step on the field and at least play in the game right away. And I really think that's the reason he's got a shot to come back is, you know, teams are going to, like you said, have their eye on a lot of different players in case there's some sort of issue in their locker room. But as far as fitting with the Niners, I don't really think they need him. I wouldn't be upset if they brought him in. There's nothing wrong with him. But I don't think he's a guy that I'm like, oh, man, the Niners better go sign Pryor. He's he's kind of meh to me. All right, so I'm going to make a compelling argument that if the 49ers get into a place where either Debo Samuel is not ready or they suffer an injury like, say, Jalen Hurd is not ready, that the 49ers should take a hard look at Terrell Pryor. Okay, He only played wide receiver for five years. And he averaged 13.3 yards a catch. He's an interesting guy. He's very big, six foot four, 230 pounds. And in 2016, he had 77 catches for 1,007 yards. And both of those stats were some of the best in the NFL. Okay. Now, his big play is the down the field deep pass. He catches the ball on – all of his catches are average out to 14.7 yards per targeted pass. Um, and that's 16th highest as far as total yards in the air. Uh, 
when he played for the Browns, he accumulated over 40% of his yards just by the total yardage of the ball in the air. So he goes up and gets it. Now, an interesting stat I found is an, an offensive share metric, um, which focuses on key stats that are solely things an individual player is in control of, uh, graded prior in 2016 at a 29.01. And a 29.01 is just on the brink of great. 30 is great. So he has the potential to be something big. Now I'll explain why I think that he's a, definitely an interesting option is he's changed the way he trains to stay healthy. That's really what's been going on. He's been having hamstring issues and stuff like that. And so he's, he's changed it. Now, Kyle Shanahan's the ultimate position player, this guy. And now you can give him a weapon that can do a lot of different stuff. So when you get into the red zone, he could be a real threat, including playing quarterback. The 49ers don't have a running quarterback on their team. So if you can pick up a receiver that can also play quarterback, now, now you've got more possibilities, more options. We know what Kyle Shanahan did with uh, Robert Griffin III, so he could run some read option and that kind of stuff. So it just it's enticing. It's like, you know, what could Kyle Shanahan come up with this guy? I'm not saying that they should do it right now and, and that, you know, it would make the most sense, but – I think if they start having injuries, maybe if they lose Jalen Hurd or something like that, then yeah, let's let's go ahead. Let's see what Terrell Pryor's got left in the tank. Plus, if we sign him like into the season, then his contract is not guaranteed. So you don't really gotta worry about it. If you put him on the field for a couple of games and he doesn't pan out, you cut him, no big deal. All right, so I'm gonna bring up this next topic. We're going to discuss, should drops count against the quarterback? So a Kendrick Bourne drop, should it count against Jimmy Garoppolo? Or how about should tipped INTs that are catchable count against uh, the wide receiver? So should we have INTs now count against the wide receiver and drops count against the wide receiver instead of counting against the quarterback? Horst? And you know this has been a pet peeve of mine for years. Right. That when a ball that's clearly catchable bounces off a receiver's hands and gets intercepted that they count it against the quarterback. I've never understood that because that is not the quarterback's fault. Um, I've, I've always thought that the wide receivers should have a stat for interceptions receiver you know receivers tight ends backs whoever they're throwing to should always should have a stat for interceptions because it can make i mean think about it three or four of those in a year and you're talking going from throwing nine interceptions to 12 or 13 nine looks a whole lot better on a stat book than 12 or 13 uh it can really affect the quarterback statistics and unfortunately that's how they get paid, and that's how the media perceives them. Is you'll see a lot of people point out that their reasoning for Garoppolo being rated low is he's, you know, I think he had 13 picks or 14 picks last year, his high amount of interceptions. And it can really hurt a quarterback. So that's why I don't like it. I think the stat needs to go against receivers because it's really hurtful to the quarterback. Now, the, as far as drops not counting against their completion percentage, I actually like that. I've never, <coughs> excuse me, I've never really given it much thought. 
I know they do keep stats of how many drops the quarterbacks have. So at the end of the year, you can't say, well, this quarterback's receivers dropped 17 balls on him and that hurt him. But I actually agree that um, that too, that if a quarterback goes 20 for 25, but three of them were drops, then it should be 20 for 22. I I don't think that's on the quarterback. And since the quarterback gets so much blame when stuff goes wrong, then let's let's pass the blame around a little bit. Yeah, the big thing for me with this is um, the receptions. The receptions argument. I, I can see the the different the differing viewpoints. Um, some people are going to argue that you know drops aren't always an indication of the receiver dropping it. Sometimes it hits a receiver in the hands, and it's not in a great place. Um, the counter argument to that being obviously, you know, they're they're paid to catch the football. The receivers are. That's what that's what your job is. So if anything is hitting you in in your hands, your your job is to bring it in. That's what you're paid money to do. Um, I think there's a, probably a compromise in that area that you could. Th- there should be an emphasis on another stat for quarterbacks, which would be like a hands percentage. Um, how many of your passes are you throwing and hitting receivers in the hands? Um, you know, if you throw 30 passes in a game and all 30 hit a receiver in their hands and you went 30 for 30, I think that's an important statistic to be looking at. Um, and then, you know, then you have you, you have your hands percentage and then you have your actual completion percentage. So how many passes did you throw and how many of them were actually completed? I think it'd be, it'd be more valuable to put an emphasis on something like that in which you can measure a quarterback's accuracy and see how often they're putting the ball in positions for receivers to catch it or actually is hitting them in the hands and putting them in a position to make a play rather than it would be to maybe necessarily dink a receiver for laying out to, to catch a ball and it hits him in the hands and he's not able to corral it and bring it in on tough catches. Um, it'd be a way to just, again, emphasize the importance of a quarterback to be accurate with the ball while not dinking receivers for drops that maybe are going to be difficult to pull in anyway to begin with. Um but the argument for the for the interceptions is is a different story entirely because we all know those moments and we've seen them and we watched them this past season with Garoppolo. He had three or four of his picks that just bounced bounced or went right through a receiver's hands into a defender. And we're sitting there going, "Well, that sucks because that's not really on Jimmy. That one's not Jimmy." But wait, you know, we're going to hear nothing but the end. Never going to hear the end of it. He's never. Everyone's going to dink him now for that that play there or this play there or that this situation where he put a ball in space where only his guy could catch it. And his guy goes up to catch it, hits him in the hands, bounces off his knee, flies up in the air, bounces off a defender's shoulder. And then that guy, another a, a safety comes across the field, watching the ball bounce off, off four or five different people and picks the ball off. And it's like, well, that's not really on Jimmy. That's the receiver brings the ball in there. It's, it's fine. You know, it's, there's no pick. So I, I, I agree with, with, your thought there, Horst, I think that is probably something that should be looked into and maybe even done and pull the trigger on it. Um, uh, just an INT stat for the receivers and running backs and tight ends, I, I think that would be great because it would put an onus on these guys now to, you know, the, these type of things could have a negative impact. If you're not securing the ball and bringing it in, that, that could have an impact on how teams value you and look at you um, while also not completely derailing, you know, a, a quarterback's, marketability or I guess the, I guess would the the right word would be um, appeal their interception appeal number um, because if, if, a, if a quarterback 
throws six of those kind of picks in a season and finishes with 18 or finishes with 15. And it really would have been eight or nine or 10 had his receivers just put their dirty mitts on the ball and just hold on to the dang thing. Um, you know, that, that, that isn't, uh, that isn't going to bode well for the quarterback. Quarterback's not going to be lovingly looking at his receivers and being like, man, what a great group we have here. I, I really love playing with you guys and really love throwing to you guys. Um, gotta, gotta spread, like you said, spread some of the responsibility around for those interceptions. Um, and find a, find a way to better, better accurately measure a quarterback's accuracy because you shouldn't be punishing quarterbacks who are putting the ball on a, on a dime to a receiver and the receiver just can't, can't find it within himself to, to make the catch. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to take from uh, another sport that does the, the best at stats that there ever was. And that's baseball because baseball has what's called an error. So when a player makes an error, it's, it's an obvious play they should have made and they don't make it. They get an error. It doesn't count against the pitcher stats. And I think that's exactly what we're looking at right here. If you got a guy, it's an obvious catch situation and he drops the ball. It's, it should be a drop on the receiver and it should not have a reflection on the quarterback. And the same with an INT, if it bounces off his hands and it's a very catchable ball, you can, I mean, you can judge pretty much if he had to dive to the left or a defender gets a hand on it, or he's trying to make a, you know, a crazy, it's he's jumping high. Those are not those type of situations. We're talking about the ball that is catchable within reason. And he lets it tip off his hands and the defender makes a play. That should be an INT on the receiver and anything that is, is catchable that we deem catchable, not something that is really tough. And, you know, there, there, I think if we took from baseball, because there is reasonability with what they consider to be a easy play and not a, a hard play. Of course, if you're diving or you're running really far out of position, those things aren't going to be considered a, an error. Or in this case, a drop or an INT on you. So I think there is like kind of already a set, set of uh parameters that we could put on this but i i think what it would do was it would take some of the onus off the quarterback when he makes a good play why is he still being punished because when you look in the stat sheet not only is it going to people are going to look at his stats and that's going to be a reflection on him but also future um money earnings are going to look at those type of things and all of a sudden you accumulate three interceptions per year that bounce off a receiver's hands and all of a sudden, maybe you're making less money. So I really would like to see them do this. I think it just makes the most sense for um, the NFL stats, especially with all the stuff surrounding fantasy and how that's going to keep growing. So just take a look at it and really p uh, put it in perspective of what it should be. And it shouldn't be somebody's fault when they do everything right and somebody else makes a mistake. I mean, I mean, just, it, it just it, it makes so much sense to do it this way. So I hopefully that someday they'll look at this and think, you know what? That's the best way to do it. Baseball's already set parameters that we can follow and put it in this way. Even if we have to have an official score that decides it, whatever needs to happen, let's make this uh, go. Thank you for listening to the 49ers Cutback Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Google Pods, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Don't forget to click the follow button so you won't miss an episode. You can always follow us on Twitter at 49ers Cutback. We'll be back soon with another great episode. Stay safe and remember, the right way is always the 49ers way.